Good morning, and welcome to Simply Economics. It's Sunday, February 11th. On today's show, we'll be discussing the tango of bond prices and interest rates in real-world economics, as well as the potential economic boost and job creation promised by economic nationalism, according to Dankar. Plus, we'll delve into the revealing of labor's ideological vacuum through the ditching of its green plan. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Economics. We start off with the Federal Reserve's actions, a constant topic of discussion, with every new piece of economic data shifting expectations about its future moves. Today, we're going to delve into the relationship between bond prices and interest rates and how the Fed's decisions impact these. Joining us is Bella, a correspondent for Simply Economics. So, Bella, can you explain the basics of bonds for our listeners? Certainly, David. A bond is essentially a standardized IOU that documents a loan of money from one party to another and specifies how interest on that loan will be paid, plus the eventual repayment of principal. It's no different than a promissory note for a car loan or a home mortgage. When a bond is issued, the issuer is asking households or businesses to lend it money. The buyer of the bond lends their money to the issuer and gets an IOU in return. And how does the secondary market for bonds work? Well, bonds are legally standardized, so if your circumstances change, you don't have to wait until the bond matures to get cash. You can offer your bond in the secondary market, where bonds that are not yet mature can be bought and sold. However, the price you get for your bond in the secondary market may be above or below its face value, depending on what has happened to interest rates since its initial issue. So how do changes in interest rates affect bond prices? When interest rates rise, whether due to central bank action or public fears about global economic prospects, existing bond prices fall. This is because new buyers can get higher interest payments from buying a new bond, so they won't want to buy an older bond offering lower payments unless it's sold at a discount. Conversely, when interest rates fall, the market price of existing bonds rises. Can you give us some historical context? How have these dynamics played out in the past? Sure. A notable example happened after President Jimmy Carter appointed Paul Volcker to chair the Federal Reserve Board of Governors in 1979. Volcker reduced inflation by sharply restricting the money supply, which led to high short-term interest rates. After some years of tight money, inflation fell, and so did interest rates. Newly issued bonds did not pay as much interest, so the market price of existing bonds had to rise. And what's happening in the bond market today? Today, we're seeing a lot of volatility. A monthly announcement shows low inflation, suggesting the Fed can ease up and bond prices rise. Then a monthly jobs count shows a greater increase than expected, possibly fueling inflation, and now the Fed might not ease up. Bond prices fall. With the current political and economic uncertainty, expectations are fluctuating and bond prices are likely to remain volatile. After hearing from Simply Economics reporter Bella, about the relationship between bond prices, interest rates, and the Federal Reserve's actions, let's shift our focus to India, where Vice President Jagdeep Dankar recently advocated for economic nationalism. He suggests that if Indians commit to using locally manufactured products, it could stimulate the economy 
and create millions of jobs. This comes as India moves from being among the fragile five to becoming the fifth largest economy in the world. Here to discuss this further is our correspondent, Abby. Can you tell us more about this concept of economic nationalism that Dunkar is promoting? Certainly, David. Economic nationalism, as Dunkar is proposing, involves a commitment to using products that are manufactured locally. The idea is that by prioritizing local goods, it will stimulate domestic industries, leading to job creation and economic growth. This is in line with Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Vocal for Local initiative. And what was the context of this statement? Dankar made these remarks at a program commemorating the death anniversary of RSS ideologue Deendayal Upadhyay. He highlighted India's economic progress, noting that the country has moved from being among the fragile five to becoming the fifth largest economy in the world, surpassing countries like Canada, England, and France. Can you explain what the Fragile Five refers to? The term Fragile Five was coined by Morgan Stanley to refer to economies that were considered vulnerable due to their reliance on foreign investment to finance growth. India was once part of this group, but Dankar's comments highlight the country's economic transformation. What impact could this economic nationalism have on India's economy? If successfully implemented, economic nationalism could indeed boost India's economy. By prioritizing local goods, it could stimulate domestic industries, leading to job creation and economic growth. However, it's important to note that such a strategy also has potential downsides, such as the risk of protectionism and potential trade conflicts. And how has the international community responded to India's economic growth? India is increasingly seen as a favorable destination for investments and opportunities. However, it's worth noting that while economic growth is a positive development, it also brings challenges, such as ensuring that growth is sustainable and inclusive. Thanks for the insights, Abby. In other economic news, Labour's recent U-turn on its pledge to spend £28 billion on greening the economy has raised questions about its economic narrative. Previously, Labour had a clear story to tell about the economy, criticizing the Tories for weak growth, flatlining living standards, and inadequate action on climate change. However, after last week's decision to scale back its green prosperity plan, Labour's economic narrative seems to have shifted. Here to discuss this further is Michael, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you tell us more about this shift in Labour's economic narrative? Certainly, David. Before this decision, Labour was offering a mild form of green Keynesianism as an alternative to economic stagnation. Now it seems to be appealing to voters on the basis that it can run the status quo more competently than the current government. This change in narrative reveals an ideological vacuum at the heart of Labour's economic policy and a lack of self-confidence. What could be the potential implications of this shift in policy? The decision to ditch the £28 billion pledge could create significant problems for Labour leaders Sir Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves if they win the election. The case for green Keynesianism was made just last month by a group of economists who argued that the UK requires an increase in public investment to tackle climate change and make the economy more efficient and productive. They also argued that more public investment would attract private investment and that the investment by the state would pay for itself. Labour's leaders have argued that economic and financial conditions have changed since the Green Prosperity Plan was announced. 
How valid is this argument? The argument doesn't hold up well under scrutiny. Growth is actually weaker now than it was in 2021. And while inflation did surge in 2022 due to supply chain bottlenecks and the Russian invasion of Ukraine, it's now on a declining trend. Interest rates are also expected to fall. Additionally, the climate crisis has been worsening, making the case for increasing public investment to green the economy even more compelling. So, what are the alternatives for funding the Green Prosperity Plan? Labor could still fund its full Green Prosperity Plan by raising tax. For instance, charging the same rate on capital gains as is paid on income tax would net 12 billion pounds, while restricting tax relief on pension contributions so everyone gets relief at the same tax rate, whatever their income, would raise a further 14.5 billion pounds. This would also make the system fairer. Labor's decision to scale back its green prosperity plan has certainly stirred the pot, raising more questions than answers. Thanks for that, Michael. In other economic news, Vice President Jagdeep Dhankar recently advocated for economic nationalism, stating that if Indians commit to using locally manufactured products, it could significantly boost the economy and create millions of jobs. To discuss this further, we have Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Economics. Can you elaborate on the Vice President's remarks? Certainly, David. Vice President Dongkar highlighted India's economic progress, stating that the country, once considered among the fragile five, has now become the fifth largest economy in the world. He emphasized that India has surpassed countries like Canada, England, and France, and predicted that in the next few years, it will overtake Germany and Japan to become the world's third largest economic power. That's quite a leap. What factors does he attribute to this economic growth? Vice President Dankar attributes this growth to India becoming a favorite destination for investments and opportunities. He also stressed the importance of economic nationalism, urging citizens to use locally manufactured products. He believes this could increase economic reserves and create jobs. Could you explain more about this concept of economic nationalism that the Vice President is advocating? Economic nationalism is essentially a policy that prioritizes domestic businesses. It encourages consumers to buy locally produced goods, which in turn supports local industries and boosts the economy. Vice President Dunkar is advocating for this approach, emphasizing the importance of using goods manufactured within the country. And how does this tie in with Prime Minister Narendra Modi's Vocal for Local initiative? The Vocal for Local initiative by Prime Minister Narendra Modi is in line with the concept of economic nationalism. It encourages citizens to support local businesses and manufacturers. Vice President Dunkar underscored the importance of this initiative, stating that if citizens pledge to use only domestically manufactured goods, it could lead to a significant economic revolution. Thank you for that interesting perspective, Celeste. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Economics. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>